So moving forward here in uh, our new season series, growing in spiritual maturity is what we're focusing on. We talked about daily devotion, how to get in the word a little bit and have prayer and how to do that. And so I want to talk about daily prayer. It works with our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And it's something I felt prompted from the Lord. And, and um, I've really asked the Lord even again for tonight, what, what are you looking for in our church? How do I teach what you're really looking for in this hour right now with where we are. And I really feel the Lord would have us to know we've got to get prayer out of this building. Pastor, we're not supposed to pray in this building. False. We are supposed to pray in this building, but not just in this building. We've got to get prayer into our homes. We've got, to, we've got to get prayer outside the walls of the church. So we're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to do it under the same umbrella of why and how. Now, some people would say, we don't need to talk about the why. We know we need to pray. And to that, I would answer, if we really knew why we needed to pray, then the average person would spend more time doing it. We know in theory we're supposed to pray, but we need more than to theoretically believe we need the scripture to, to support why do we pray and how does that help us. So I turn your attention to Matthew 26. I'll read three verses, 39, 40, and 41 before we're seated and dive in here tonight. These will be our key verses throughout the Bible study tonight. Now, if you'll follow along in your Bibles and make some notes after service or first thing tomorrow morning, they'll make sure that the notes are uploaded into the the app, and you'll have the full range of notes there. But we're trying to get people to take some notes in their Bible as well or the piece of paper that you bring with you. Matthew 26, 39 through 41, and he went a little farther and he fell on his face, this being Jesus, and he prayed saying, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. We understand what's taking place here that the flesh is feeling the weight of the sacrificial moment. Verse 40 says, and he, he cometh unto his disciples, and what are they doing? They're sleeping. He findeth them asleep. Some people are thinking, if it qualifies to be a disciple to sleep, I am in. I love that they are sleeping. Please watch this. But Peter gets singled out and saith unto Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Some people in this room feel like an hour of prayer is not very long at all. Other people in this room think an hour of prayer is worthy of a medal. Can you see Peter looking around in this moment? Everybody's sleeping. Brother Sipes, he looks at Peter and says, what? You can't, you can't just stay up. If I'm Peter, I'm like, what about? What? Get up. You take some of this heat too. But watch what Jesus says here. Watch and pray. Here's why he's talking to Peter. That ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, 
but the flesh is weak. He's telling the guy that he plans to preach Pentecost, that he plans to get prayed out of a prison. He said, listen to me, temptation is coming. And although you're going to be bold as a lion, you're going to be weak and too weak to overcome if you don't learn how to be a man of prayer. Not talking about physical strength. I'm talking about spiritual strength. So let's pray that the Lord helps us as we dive in here tonight. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the reading of your word. I thank you for the great number of people that have gathered here on a Wednesday night Bible study. We do pray your blessing upon our children's ministry that's taking place, our young people, our young adults, our young marrieds, all of them in separate areas and classrooms. We pray you'd anoint them. But I pray right here in our main sanctuary this evening that you would anoint my lips to speak. We know your word is anointed, but we're praying that it can find lodging here. I pray that your work would be accomplished and that each and every one of us would learn how to more greatly be people that are people of prayer. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Let me start with this obvious yet very important statement. Jesus Christ is our example. The flesh is too weak without prayer. The flesh is too weak without prayer. Why do I need to pray? I'm going to tell you. If Simon Peter needed to pray, Bible college male, you need to pray. And that doesn't mean for the ladies to be like, yes, they do. <laughs> men of God in this room tonight, we've got to be men of prayer because we want to be like Jesus Christ. We want to follow that example. I am strong enough, Brother Gwaltney, to publicly say the flesh is weak. Oh, wow, you, you must be weak. No, I'm strong enough to say. I'll never forget when I was just a young boy hearing my pastor, this big old burly guy, came down front there in Cleburne, Texas. It was a big old burly guy, the best that my childhood memory can be. And this big old guy seemed like it was his first time at service. And he lifted his hands and he began to pray and he began to cry. And, and while he was crying, I'll never forget Brother Ashley, who is also a giant man, saying it takes a big man to cry. What he was trying to tell that gentleman in that moment was, it's good to give your emotions in prayer to the Lord. Ian e. Bounds is quoted as saying, those who know God the best are the richest and the most powerful in prayer. Little acquaintance with God and strangeness and coldness to Him make prayer a rare and feeble thing. I'll never forget many years ago when I was reading about prayer and I, I ran across a, a statement by T.W. Barnes where he said, I've come to the place I would rather pray than eat. I remember being so convicted by that. I think I was eating while I was reading the book. Ah, <laughs> God, I love you. 
Acts 2 and 42, we often quote Acts 2 and 36, 37, 38. We love Acts 1 and 8. We talked about it even this Sunday night. But Acts 2 and 42, as vitally important, says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. That's why we think fellowship is important. The breaking of bread and in prayers. Do we need all these things? Yes, we do. We need doctrine, but we also need fellowship. We need to be kindly affection one towards another. We need to break bread together. We're pretty good at that. But we also need to be in prayer because that is our early church example. D.S. Whitney said, without exception, the men and women I have known who make the most rapid, consistent, and evident growth in Christ's likeness have been those who develop a daily time of being alone with God. This time of outward silence is the time of daily Bible intake and prayer. In this solitude is the occasion for private worship. I love that part of that quote. In this solitude is the occasion for private worship. We need communal worship, but we need individual worship. And if our individual worship is robust, our communal worship will be dynamic. I'm going to say that again. If our individual worship is robust, then our communal worship will be dynamic. If we have individual daily prayer, our worship leaders won't have to be cheerleaders. Give me a J. Jay, you got you. Give me an E, E. We shouldn't have to do that. Brother Devin, so great up here leading us in worship tonight. We used to say song leader. And I, I appreciate that, but it's more than a song leader. It's leading into worship, worshiping the Lord. And we want to be men and women of worship. But we've got to have that individually. Let me give you a basic bare bones illustration of what that looks like. It would be like the couple that never speaks when they're alone, only when they go out in a group. Now, some may do that. I just need to tell you that's not healthy. Our best times are around other people. Okay. Probably need to schedule a session with Brother Lopez. Um, first, first Thessalonians. Go there, if you will. First Thessalonians. Why? Why do I need daily prayer? And I, I feel that every time I say it. Well, we know we need to pray. Well, let's, let's examine it. I even want to challenge you. If you're one of those people that you're willing to write in your Bible, you need to take one of those blank pages and you need to even write, write things like, why prayer? Because God will lead you. As soon as you get the data there with some scriptures that'll take you, God will open up a door with the person in the cubicle next to you or sitting in the cafeteria or while you're at the grocery store and you'll be armed with the information that you have and maybe hopefully that you can remember and you can walk them through. Why is prayer so important? What's, what's the book say in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18? Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 
What does that mean? Does that mean that you go around all the time praying? We talked about this a little bit last week. I had some elders reach out to me and say, thank you for this. I hadn't thought of this in a while, but it needs to be a, a transitional impartation, if you will, something that is passed from one generation to the next, that prayer is oft on our lips, that it's a part of who we are. If we're not careful, we think we've got to get so focused in to pray that, that, man, we can't even go to prayer unless we get all this other stuff done. And I, I understand the need for solitude prayer, but if we will pray without ceasing, it will, be, it will be regular communication on our lips that transcends and works beyond the daily necessities of life. God may call you to prayer. That doesn't mean you don't, know, you, you don't need a job anymore. He's called me to prayer. I don't think I can work a job. Good luck. I, I hope it works out. If it works out, write the book. We want it. But the truth is you're probably still going to have to go and work your job, your nine to five or your whatever it is. But yet, how many know he walks with us? And he talks to us. And he's still as close as if we will draw nigh unto him, he will draw nigh unto us. And so we are to rejoice when? Evermore. And pray without ceasing. Not just when there are tests at school. But praying. And in everything give thanks. Why? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Men, women, before you go to jo your job in the morning, pray over that day. Can't stand your boss? When's the last time you really interceded for them? If we're not careful, we will do much more complaining about than praying for. Oh, I felt some people back their toes up right there on that. I'm, I'm talking to all of us here tonight. Anybody that works at the church, pray for Prayer is not a show for others, but rather it is communication with God. How many know when we come together, our prayer is not, look at me, look at me, look at me. That's why I've often said and will continue to say, we do not worship our worship and we do not praise our prayer. It's a good line to live by. We do not worship our worship and we do not praise our our prayer. They can be turned, those things can even be turned into idols. Okay? I don't, I don't believe in getting up and doing a bunch of praise dancing. Okay. <laughs> I don't think we need to introduce flags into the church. And... Nope. I don't think we need that. Some are clapping because they agree. Some are just nervous. They don't. It's okay either way. Let's look at Matthew 6 and bring some, bring some biblical strength to this. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut the door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. 
Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Hear me clearly. He is not, Christ is not speaking against communal prayer. He is speaking against pompous prayer. There is a great difference. The entirety of the early church was the gathering in communal churches that would come together and the forsaking, not the assembling together. But he was telling them, don't you be like Pharisees who just want to be seen as religious. Getting out in the street corners and on the edges and on the corners and lifting their voices and speaking and even in vain repetition. I want to say something here tonight. When we say hallelujah, it means something. I try to train young preachers. Don't use hallelujah as a byword between lines. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to come against a little tradition here for a second. And I, I understand why we do it. But we see people and instead of saying, how are you? We say, praise the Lord. When we say that, we ought to think about what we're saying. There was one guy I used to say, I used to say, um, praise the Lord. And he wouldn't say praise the Lord back. He would say, I will. Whew. Same guy. I would look at him. I'd say, hey, God bless you. He'd say, he does. I was just young, but I caught on to that. I don't want our Pentecostal statements to be bywords that don't have true value. When we say hallelujah, it's the highest praise that we can possibly... It shouldn't be hallelujah. It should hallelujah. Glory to God. Why do we lift our voice? Our prayers are not so that each other hear them. Although there is some comfort that comes in a prayer service when everyone prays out loud rather than one or two. Otherwise it becomes a game of listen to us. Well, I don't know if I need to pray out loud. Listen, the Lord chose your tongue to validate even the infilling of the Holy Ghost. How did they know they were filled with the Holy Ghost? For they heard them speak with tongues. Your voice is the validation. When you lift up your voice in prayer, you are absolutely telling hell, I am a believer. I am a believer. It's not based on how good your day was. It's not based on how good your finances are. It, no, it's just your communion with God because you are in fact a child of God. And Jesus was telling them, don't be like the Pharisees to be seen of men. Don't get into the catching away of these vain repetitions, but have a private prayer life. Listen, every believer should have a private prayer life that fans the flame of who they are publicly. Well, I can't really, I'm struggling to be a witness to which I would ask what every pastor throughout the ages have asked. How's your prayer life? And people do not like that question. I knew you were gonna ask me, how's my prayer? So then how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? And usually I find, just like you do, people that pray weak live weak. Isn't it the truth? I was just a young, young man when someone told me, if you will live for God easy, it will be hard. But if you will live for God with heart, with strength, with all your, it will be easy. And they weren't telling me it would be a, a bed of roses. They were telling me that it changes the trajectory and it changes the outcome. 
So why do we need prayer? Not to be seen of men, but to have witness among men. Why do we come in this house and even have public and open worship where we're calling on the name of the Lord? We understand it's biblical, but it's if we reserve all of our prayer for here, I'm convinced, Sister Barkus, if we reserve all our prayer for here, we're not much better than the Pharisees. We've waited all week till we get together. Woo! We can clap on two and four. We can say hallelujah at the appropriate time. We can say blessed be the name of the Lord when everybody else. We can even finish the scriptures before the pastor. But I'm telling you ladies, telling you gentlemen, telling you young adults that are in this room, if you'll hear me right now, a private life of prayer will help us to walk into this house differently. Walk into this house prepared. Ready to work. What is the worship then when we come in having a life of prayer and our intercessory team that's already been praying, which is so powerful before our service? What's taking place when we walk in? We're not having to break through to get to worship. We're just walking in and worshiping God because when they sing, they're singing about the God that I love. Not just the God I know about, but the God that I know. Not just, not just the God that I've heard of, but the God who hears me. Oh, that's a powerful principle. Help us, God. Help us, God. So how should we pray? How do I have consistent daily prayer? Pastor, this is great in theory, but how? I want to go back to our key verses. Verse 39 of that opening Text from Matthew chapter 26. Where should I pray? You just told me pray without ceasing. That's what you echoed. Well, let me tell you this when it comes to that devotion and taking the next step of prayer. And when he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Where should I pray? I want to tell you this. Our daily routine should take us to that place that's just a little farther. If you want to underline those words from verse 39, he went just a little farther. Where do I find it? I find this place. I, I've got to get alone. He found a place that worked for secluded prayer. He was with all the disciples. Pastor Lopez, it seems to me that would have been the great time to stay with the disciples. They wouldn't fall asleep if you would have stayed with them. How many know it's easier to be motivated when you're in the group? Would have been the prompting. They could have got a little, if someone starts to fall asleep, just give a little love tap. Just They probably wouldn't have fallen asleep, but he goes a little further because he's giving this example that there are some things that have to be done alone. And I will tell you deep and personal prayer, there needs to be a place of solitude that is just a little farther. It's just, it's this place where I get to that I tell the Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. We talked about it in accordance with daily devotion. And yes, we talked about the Bible reading and the app and what that looks like. And next week, uh, we're going to 
thoroughly exhaust what does it mean to even study and try to understand Scripture as a regular believer. What does that look like? How can I do that? But, but if I'm going to take prayer, because we're talking this week, 21 days of prayer and fasting, I need to tell you fasting without prayer doesn't even work. Fasting has to be coupled with prayer. So where do I go? I get alone. I, I, maybe it's the basement. Maybe it's the living room. Maybe it's that special prayer room or that prayer closet that you have that you enter into from the example of Christ. But there should be somewhere. I cannot stress this enough. There's got to be somewhere in your life. And it's where you touch God. Moms and dads, let me talk to you for a second. There ought to be somewhere in your house that your kids know that's where mom touches God. There's somewhere in the house that, that your children say, that's, that's where dad, if dad's praying, if dad's doing devotion, I know that's the spot. It's easy language for me in my home to tell my kids if I need something that I left in the area, I can tell them, go to my devotion area and get that. I just did it two or three days ago with my youngest son. I said, I left my Bible in my devotion area. Can you go and get that for me? Kaysen didn't have to look back at me and say, where is that? It's a secret place between me and God, but it's not secret from my family. I need to be that, that example yeah, I get alone there with, with the Lord, but it's also a part of the place where last night we sat and we did family devotion together. Some things are in solitude alone, but then some things are with the family unit brought together. I know this is completely counterculture to the world, and, and to some I would sound crazy, but ladies and gentlemen, we've got to do this. We've got to do this. Everybody say just a little farther. He just went a little farther and got that place Alone. How do I do it? Find you a place. Yeah, well, Pastor Carson, I live in a dorm room. I don't have a whole lot of square footage. It might be in the chapel. I promise you there aren't that many people in the lobby at 5.30 in the morning. If you want to go there, there is a 5.30 in the morning. Finding a place alone with God. And in that alone place with God, our example is not my will. Not my will. Man, I can't get away from that for some reason right there. Not my will. It's got to be your will. I wish you'd maybe just lift your hands with me in this moment right now. Somebody needs to say those words. Not, not as I will. As thou will. Not my will. Your will be done. Not my will. Your will be done. Somebody in this house tonight, you've been praying about a situation. You need to tell the Lord, not my will. Your will. It's our example from Christ. So where, where should I pray? There's, there's got to be a place that's just a little farther from the daily, regular routines of life, a place that it becomes a part of your routine, but it's really outside of the flesh. It's, it's this spiritual escape. And then I would ask you, in accordance with this, would you look at verse 40? And I'd ask this question, who can challenge you on your prayer life? Who can challenge that? Verse 40 says, he cometh to his disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? I, I understand that pastor 
and, and executive pastor might have the opportunity to ask you that. Whether you receive it or not would be up to you. But if you're waiting on me or Brother Lopez or one of the pastoral team to come and ask you, you're probably going to skate by without anybody asking you. Rarely are we going to get to talk to people in a congregation our size to simply say, hey, how often are you praying? Might not do it anyway, but you should have somebody that you're accountable to in your life. We talked about it on your daily devotion. Joe, you're in Bible college, but there ought to be somebody, some peer in your life that can ask you on a regular basis, how's your prayer life? Brother Ross, there ought to be somebody, some peer in your life that can look at you and just on, out of the blue, not because you had a bad attitude that day, not because you got upset and they... Just a peer that says, how's your prayer life? And part of that should not be the judgment of how's your prayer life. Part of it should be the accountability of what's God saying during your prayer time. I spent time again on the phone today with accountability partners in my life, a couple of pastors that I'm closely connected to. And what we talked about, Brother Turner, is what the Lord is speaking during prayer. I want to be tuned in to what is the Lord saying. And I want people in my life that can challenge that narrative. Brother Wolf, I need somebody in my life that can challenge that and can say, well, I don't know that. That's kind of intrusive. Christ walked up and said, you can't pray one hour. It was a, it was a late night. Christ had walked away. He's over wailing in the bushes somewhere. Here's my question. Why weren't the disciples accountable to each other in that moment? Brother Massengale, if they were really going to be such great leaders, why weren't they prompting each other? And I think that's what Christ was teaching. He's about to be taken. It's about to be the end. And he's teaching them a principle. You better hold each other accountable. You better... Anybody feel this, what I'm, I'm trying to teach you right now? Somebody that can look at you and say, Sister Mass has been a minister for a long time, a professor, a dean at the school, but somebody in your life, a peer in your life, a friend, another professional. Not because, man, they're really judging. No, 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 they're helping me. It's that iron sharpening. It's that, it's that person that's nudging me along in the spiritual things of God that's helping me to be more like Jesus. Folks, that's our goal. To be more like Jesus. Well, I don't want to be judgmental. That's not judgmental. You're being helpful. Ladies, uh, another lady that's in the middle of her prayer time and feels you on her heart and carries you before the Lord and has the ability to call you and say, when I was in prayer, I felt this this morning. You know what that does for that lady you call? it puts her in a place where she wants to pray. I don't, want the, I don't want the Lord to have to tell all the things he's trying to do in my life to other people because I'm not spending time talking to him. You know what it should be? When they call you, Sister McFarlane, when that lady calls you, it ought to resonate in your spirit from what you had already been feeling in prayer and then by the mouth of two or three. Understand it becomes a spiritual confirmation. There have been many times in prayer that I'm praying for someone and the Lord simply tells me to tell them this, I come with confirmation. 
They were standing praying for the Lord to send somebody who would say, I'm confirming, mm, I'm confirming the promises I've already been talking to you about and telling you about. Remember our message here from Sunday morning about the 10 verses 2 and the naysayers and the fear and the negativity? I'm going to tell you, they were way outnumbered. But thank God Caleb had Joshua. Thank God Joshua had Caleb. We're not even going to mention those other guys again. But that accountability of one for another. Let's move forward. We know typically what to pray for. We pray for our family. We pray for blessing. I try to train people that are praying. When you go up to someone, it's okay to ask them, what are we praying for? Let me teach not just college students, but everyone in the room. If someone is praying near you or by you, you won't quench the spirit. Brother Fridley, we won't destroy anything, will we, if we say, what can I pray with you about? If you're in my pastoral care and counseling class, you've heard, and I've probably taught it here to the church, but I want to say it again because I think it's weighty. We do not have to discern what we are willing to discuss. Oh, but we need discernment. You better believe it. We need discernment to try the spirits, but we don't need to try to practice discernment when we could just talk to someone. If they're praying for their family, and that's what they want to pray about, and you're just praying random general prayers, you might be effective, but not as effective as you can. It's like I, I saw a clip the other day. I don't know if I've shared this. I just saw this the other day, so I doubt it. But this, uh, this young medical student walked in. It's this clip. He walks in, and he's talking to this guy about his knee, and he's feeling the knee, and all of a sudden, the guy goes, it's the other knee. And it pans over, and the other knee's in a big brace. <laughs> Captain Obvious. There's nothing wrong with saying, what can I pray with you about? So usually, though, individually, we know what we're praying for. We know the needs in our life. We pray for our family. We pray for our mind. We, pray for, we know how to pray and what we're praying for. We're praying for our prodigals. We're praying for church prodigals. We talked last week about the structured prayer guides, which I believe in wholeheartedly. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer. In fact, I'm a proponent of that. But I want to tell you there are things we need to pray against. Sometimes we spend all of our time praying. Brother Richard, we just pray for things and we don't pray against things. I believe we need to pray against things. Specifically for this lesson tonight, the Lord put this on my heart. And I, I want to read these, uh, these scriptures from 1 John chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Give me about five minutes or so, I'll land this blank. I've written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Here he says, love not the world, comma, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him, but he goes on and gives descriptives to that which would qualify for the love of the world. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not 
of the Father, but is of the world. Everyone say, it's not of the Father. So how do I pray against the lust of the flesh? The lust of the flesh is all those desires centered in your nature without regard to the will of God. It's, it's, here are some of the most dangerous words that a believer can have in their arsenal. But it felt right. Better make sure it felt right to your spirit, not your flesh. I've seen a lot of young people ruin the rest of their life and sabotage their ministry over what felt right in the moment. Seen a lot of girls waste their ministry because he said, I love you, and it felt right. The lust of the flesh, I cannot overemphasize this. The lust of the flesh is absolutely contrary to the desire to do the will of God. It's contrary. Galatians 5, 19 through 24. Now the works of the flesh are, they're manifest. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Got so long that he just said in such like. Of the which I tell you, before, as I have also told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That same thing that allows us to cry, Abba, Father, and the inheritance of the kingdom, we, we become that, that prodigal son that gives up or tries to cash in on our inheritance early to play to the lust of the flesh and the things of the world. How many know it will always leave you wanting? It'll always leave you wanting. And people say, well, I haven't, I haven't got involved in that. I haven't murdered. Well, maybe you haven't murdered, but did you murder your calling? Maybe you don't walk around in envy, but do you consistently compare yourself amongst others? We won't go through all of this, but the lust of the flesh. So I would, I would submit to you that we have to pray against the lust of the flesh. We have to pray against the lust of the eyes. It means what we look upon. We desire it. In an article by David Allen, he wrote, The lust of the eyes describes someone who is captivated by an outward show of materialism. See a new car? Must have it. See a dress? Must have it. See a position? Must have it. Cars, dresses, positions, etc. are not in and of themselves sinful. But the inordinate desire to have what we see is sinful. An inordinate desire to have anything contrary to God's will is sinful. What's a prime example from Scripture of the lust of the eyes? How about David, even in his kingship role, standing on the roof? He had everything he could possibly desire, but his eyes wanted more. And it may be a woman or it may be a man, but it also may be a car or it may be a house or it may be a raise or it's the lust of the eyes. And I'm going to tell you, it is what our world is baptized with. It's hidden under a word called ambition. I don't think ministers should be ambitious. I don't think Christians should be ambitious. I don't think we should walk around 
And I know that for those of you that are in business, you hear the word ambitious all the time. And we can try to put it under another word and call it driven. I'm going to tell you what I think we ought to be. We ought to be biblically motivated. Because there's nobody that can bless you like he can bless you anyway. Every good gift and every perfect cometh down from the Father of lights. He can give you that job if you'll desire him more than you desire the job. He can give you the raise if you desire to give to missions more than you desire to be. I've watched him do it. He can do it. So I've got to pray against the lust of the flesh. I've got to pray against the lust of the eyes. Yes, we do. Talk to every man in this room, and I'm talking to you in mixed company, and I'm doing it on purpose because it's not just men anymore, and the stats prove it. But, but men, I want you to hear me. There's no reason that a man full of the Holy Ghost should stay addicted to pornography. I'm not saying it's an easy thing, but I'm telling you this. The Holy Ghost is strong enough to help you and put some practical guides in play. Where's my phone? I, I felt this in prayer today, so I'm going to say it. And it's not a men's night. It's an everybody night. I don't think that wives should have to accept that men are addicted. No, I don't. And young ladies, the stats say that it's getting almost just as bad in our ladies. You know why? It's perversion run rampant in our world. It's the marketing of perversion. But I'm going to say something that a lot of people are going to think I'm crazy. If this is going to take you to hell, get you an old-fashioned flip phone, get you something that you can't get us. We got to be honest. Our souls are on the line here. We're in this, we're in this media fast, and I don't know what I, I think the Lord's tried to uncover. We barely got onto this media fast, and the Lord began to uncover some things and show me some things that we've got people that are way too mature in the Lord to still be battling some addictions by your eyes. And I'm going to tell you how it's been hidden. It's been hidden up under statements like, well, it's normal. Everybody has this struggle. This is a regular thing. That is not a license to go to hell. That's not a license to go to hell. And if you don't think that that's a dark spiral that will take you down, it will never stop there. There is so much filth attached to that. Man, I feel conviction I feel the Holy Ghost ministering in this room right now. I feel the brokenness of some spouses in this room. I even feel the appeal from within. You don't even want it to show on your face, but something's breaking inside saying, I don't want this addiction. Well, I'm telling you right now, you better examine the things that you're surfing on. If you've got a laptop and you don't have, you don't have covenant eyes or something on, you don't really want to beat the addiction. You've got a phone with no restrictions. You don't really... Want to break the addiction? I can't get out of it. I'm in, the, I'm in the vein of this right here, right now. You got nobody in your life. Pastor Lopez, how many? We got so many people that are accountable. We even get, we, you get a report or one of their accountability partners gets in a, uh, it alerts if they go to a website that's even close to wrong. Oh, that's silly. It's not, we want them to have a successful marriage down the road. We're trying to get this so that their wife doesn't have to live up to some airbrushed fallacy. And the same, 
And the same is true when it comes to, to chats on sites. Your eyes, it's the lust. Just want to hear, nobody's told me I'm pretty in five weeks. And he thinks I'm pretty. He's not your husband. If he told, if he tells you you're pretty, the first person you ought to go tell is your husband. Somebody tells my wife she's pretty, I'm okay with that as long as she comes and tells me. I promise you then I won't need to discern because I will discuss. <laughs> and I need to know, I need you to know I'm okay with that. I'm okay with a compliment. She's okay with a compliment. It's okay for someone to say, you look pretty tonight. You look handsome. I like that suit. I like that tie. You can be pure without being flirtatious. There's a total, there's a complete difference. But when it has to be hidden after they go to bed, if it has to be hidden before they get up, only get on that when you're at work on a break. Okay, I got to move on, but. I think that's a point proved there. It's the lust of the flesh. It's the lust of the eyes, and we've got to pray against it. Every I think, I think every now and then when we're repenting, we need to say, and God, help me to set no evil thing before my eyes. But our problem, please hear me right now, the problem with that is if we're not careful, we put that through the filtration process of the world, and a lot of things are not considered evil. So the Holy Ghost has to help convict. Well, that's not evil. Who says? It's got to be weighed against the scripture. And what's the last thing? We've got to pray against the pride of life. The pride of life. If you want a couple of scriptures that go along with that eyes, they're going to be on the notes on the app. If you're writing them down, you want them in scripture. Proverbs 17, 24, Job 31 and 1. Praying against the pride of life. Stand with me. I've got to pray against the lust of the flesh. I've got to pray against the lust of the eyes. And I've got to pray against the pride of life. Remember, pride was Satan's gateway drug. It's his introduction. It's that, it's, that, it's that sin that reflects Lucifer himself, pride. The pride of life describes that arrogant spirit of self-sufficiency. I will tell you that pride fans the flame of self-righteousness. And I will tell you this, typically people that are self-righteous do not think they are self-righteous because they are self-righteous. That's redundantly redundant. But that's what it is. And the root of that is pride. It expresses the desire for recognition, applause, status, advantage in life. Pride in life is what can life offer to me? I'm not serving unless I get credit. I'm not doing the work unless I get recognized for it. This word in Greek translated pride describes the braggart, that person who always has to one-up you. You know that person at the, at, at the conversation that it doesn't matter what your story is? It's that person. That ain't nothing. I know people like this. I know people I don't even want to tell stories to. 
It wouldn't matter if I told them that I walked, you know, across glass on the middle of the equator. They would come back with, well, you should have been there when I. Can I tell you, it's why some people cannot celebrate your testimony. Our testimony should always lead people to Christ, not to us. When I testify, I give him glory. God, help me not to have arrogance in my life. I pray against the pride of life. I'm not looking for platforms. Not looking, I'm not seeking positions. I'm seeking your face. I want to be like you. So I pray against some things. I pray against the lust of the flesh. I pray against the lust of the eyes. And I pray against the pride of life. Would you pray with me tonight collectively? Give us daily prayer, oh God. Give us daily prayer. Give us daily prayer. Give us daily prayer. Where we talk to you. Oh, I feel like I've got to commission someone here tonight that your prayer would be, help me, Lord, to be more like you. Like the old song says, to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. On earth I long to be like Him. In your daily prayer, if you want to do something new, you'll find it on the app. But we have the full armor of God. Some basic ways of praying. The helmet of salvation. Praying over your mind. Feet prepared with the gospel of peace. God opened doors for me to be a witness. Helmet of salvation, love for Christ, and for doctrine. These are just snapshots here, obviously. The breastplate of righteousness, guard my heart. Hide the word in my heart twice tonight. I have felt prompted for our young ladies. I said it earlier with the words that he said, I love you. I feel it again right now on the guarding of your heart. When I tell every young lady in this room, no person should have the ability to steal your heart from what God is trying to do in your life. The shield of faith, anointed life, and the faith to guard against the enemy and the sword of the Spirit, that Bible reading that we're talking about and that we'll study next week to take an offensive stance through the Word. I do not think that as Christians we constantly should be living on the defensive. This is just another structured way of working through prayer. And if you'll take these different parts of the armor of God and you will pray for the men or the women that say I need more structure I've been maybe trying the tabernacle I've been work this is another structured way that you can find and it will open up things in your prayer time